If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Well, hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. I hope you all are enjoying your Friday. I know all around the country, there's some crazy stuff happening. Here in the Midwest, we have beautiful weather, but my daughter flew in from New York City this morning, and luckily, she took a 6 a.m. flight and was able to make it here because I hear there is a lot of rain and craziness happening in the city. So hopefully everyone is dry and um, we're moving into fall and hopefully everyone has a beautiful weekend and has some nice weather coming. So um, we're super excited um, for our guest today. Happy to have another great guest. Um, I know everyone's probably happy that we're um, Friday that it's Friday, but our guest today was at our event a couple of weeks ago in Charlotte. And as I continue to mention every week, we have um, two types of listeners today. We have our LinkedIn Live listeners and we have our Voice America listeners. So if you ever want to catch this podcast, you can find it at um, any place that you like to listen to your podcast. We air every Friday at the same time live on Voice America. And we um, always are doing this um, in accordance with LinkedIn Live. So we also, uh, uh, FutureCon, I'm the CEO of FutureCon Cybersecurity Events. We put on about 28 uh, national events every year. We travel all over North America. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Charlotte and I had the pleasure of um, meeting for the first time, Rick Doton, who's the VP of Information Security at Centene Corporation and as the CISO of Carolina Complete Healthcare. I actually met him virtually during COVID. Um, for a couple of years, we were doing a lot of virtual events, obviously, since we could not travel, and it was nice to finally meet him in person. He had... Um, been telling us, come to Charlotte, come to Charlotte. You won't, you won't regret it. And boy, did we not regret it. We couldn't even fit everyone into the venue. We have to find a bigger venue in Charlotte next year. That's what a great turnout it was. But interesting enough, um, he had a very interesting topic that none of my keynote speakers have ever talked about. And he talked about understanding and managing neurodivergent staff. So what does that mean? Well, we're going to find out. We're going to find out a little bit more about Rick. So welcome to the show, Rick. Thank you very much, Kim. Very happy to uh, see you again. And as you said, we many times I did keynotes for you virtually and was great to see you in person. I know. Finally, you know, it's just 2023 has just been a crazy year. Everyone, I feel like, is uh, coming back out. We have our government trying to scare us a little bit to go back in, but I don't think people are going to do that. We're still, uh, we're getting ready to go to Columbus next week. Same thing. We're trying to figure out how we're going to fit everyone in our venues. So it's good problems to have. So it was nice to meet you, especially since I'm here in St. Louis, where your corporate uh, Centene resides. So um, they, yeah, I was actually interesting. I was there last week. Um, oh, oh, you I were. Should have should have reached out. I didn't. I, I didn't realize that. But yeah, I was there last week. 
Yeah, they that that's such a beautiful facility they've uh, spent all that money on and built and happy to see that they're going to stay in St. Louis and not leave. We we need them here. So and um it would be a shame to vacate that beautiful building that they built over there. It seems like it keeps getting bigger and bigger too. So Anyway, well, tell us a little before we dive into, um, because we have a lot to talk about, and I do want to let my guests um, know out there, now my Voice America guests, um, there's nothing, you know, unless you go on LinkedIn Live, we we can't um, answer any questions from you, but our LinkedIn Live people, if you have any questions, please put your comments in the chat box, and we will definitely address your comments. But before we dive into your subject, um, tell us a little bit about you, Rick, how you got to where you are, and kind of your career history. Um, you are a role model for a lot of people in your community and around the United States. So let us know a little bit about your background and how you ended up being a VP at Centene. Yeah, I'm old enough to where in security, this was one of the things where the industry found me. So in the early 90s, I you know had always worked in IT and I was very interested in security, and I got into a program with the FBI to building a, a, a an online service for them, and security was very important, obviously. So we were doing in the 90s some very some new things that are all fundamental today around multi-factor authentication and VPNs and different things, intrusion detections was still very early on. And then from there, I was asked to go work in an ethical hacking team in the late 90s, and so turned into managing that team and then through acquisitions, ended up running the East Coast security practice. So I spent a lot of my early days being a consultant, doing cybersecurity consulting back before it was cool, back before it was, you know, we were developing as an industry what, you know, forensics retainers look like, what incident response plans look like, and helping organizations. And then moved on into, uh, you know, being inside as being a, um, you know, the, um, Chief Scientist for Cybersecurity at, at Lockheed Martin uh, 13 years ago, and then became an in-house in CISO for a mid-sized company in Washington, D.C., and then a virtual CISO for five years for companies all around the world. And it started to get a little bit uh, uh, complicated when I have you know, five different companies that I'm their virtual CISO in five different areas of the country and different languages, different time zones. And so I wanted to come back being inside and have been here at Centene and um, Carolina Complete Health here in Charlotte, North Carolina at um, for a little over four years. And so just being able to do every single role in cybersecurity and being one who talks to so many people in so many different industries and in so many different parts of the world, just having this broad view of what risk management looks like in South America and in Asia and in Australia and different industries ranging from, you know, movie studios and TV studios to gold mines to manufacturing firms to data center companies. And just that diversity, I think, is what really has helped me in kind of looking at it from a big picture and being able to help, you know, organizations, including my own and sharing my knowledge with the industry. Well, it, well, congratulations on all your success, and you're just such a nice guy. I mean, you're just so, people can just come up to you, and, you know, a lot of CISOs, you know, sometimes they put a 
brick wall around them and you're yeah, definitely we're trying to weed them out as they let them age out and i'm and not I'm, really meeting i keep <laughs> saying to ever see so i meet that like you're such a great guy so honestly i really don't know who the bad guys are so. yeah they're still out there trust me and but there's a um I am the social coordinator for my community here in Charlotte. You know, the C, you know so I uh, help get all of our events together and help make sure people uh, are included because we have such a diverse group of companies here in Charlotte from, you know, the big banks to, you know, Lowe's Home Improvement and Wells Fargo, you know, all the way down to, you know, smaller companies like National Gypsum and Halen and even Krispy Kreme, right? Uh, um, and so the you know, to try to get everyone together where, you know, maybe the small organizations aren't getting the invitations that the big companies are getting, or they don't have the opportunities or they don't get the, get schmoozed by the, the, the vendors as much as the big companies. And so I'm trying to get everyone together so that we all can share among each other. So at our event in Charlotte, because I want to kind of dive right into, because I know we have so much to talk about and there's so many, well, we've never had anybody talk about this subject and you're, you're talking about understanding and managing neurodivergent staff. Let's just start right there. And can you break down what you mean by neurodivergent? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that, you know, it's a, in, I had mentioned to you earlier that just this morning I was speaking at a local community college with Year Up, and we had this discussion to a bunch of college I had with this college students talking about this topic, and we asked them what they understand it to be, and we got some really good answers. But the real the, the and, and the answers essentially is this: it's this rainbow of different ways that your mind thinks. And so uh, the bottom line, it is how you respond to the way your mind thinks, which may be different than what a neurotypical person would be. But when we look at this spectrum, it doesn't just include like autism or ASC, autism spectrum condition, which includes Asperger's and other things and ADHD, but includes things like dyslexia and Tourette's and, and other mental health issues and maybe even OCD and, and uh, bipolar. And so it's this rainbow of things, though mostly when we talk about neurodivergent, we talk about, you know, ASC, you know, autism and, and ADHD, which are the most prevalent of them. Though, as I had mentioned in, in the discussion, that the um, comorbidity of having multiple ones is, is very common. So tell us a little bit. I, I was talking pre-show that one of the things that I've noticed, you know, we've continued since COVID. You know, we put this event on all over the country and prior to COVID, no one even really talked about virtual. So when 2022 happened, people weren't that excited to come back out to events. So as an event person, it was a little challenging. So we we had no choice but to keep our events in a hybrid mode. 2023 came, people are coming back out. We're doubling our attendance because it's not about COVID anymore. It's about cybersecurity professionals sometimes just can't even leave their office. So this gives them the opportunity, keeping our events in a hybrid mode to catch our shows. But there still is a big group of people out there that um, it's not a hidden secret in the IT industry that there are a lot of introverted people in the IT industry. So a lot of those people are still staying at home because that is way more comfortable for them because it is intimidating to come to a show where you might not know someone. But it also, 
I try to always talk on the show how important it is to come to the shows because you need to meet your peers for many different reasons, you know, for, you know, if something should happen to your job, you know, you need to have connections and networking. So that's really important. So why do you think, how, how do you, and, and one of the other things that you talked about too is, um, some of some staff are written off because managers, you know, just get frustrated because they may be not be focused or productive. So they think. So let's talk about some of these things and um, what you talked about and and how you work with those type of people. Yeah, what I realized in the last year, I started doing some research on neurodiversity. Then, and we have this great resource of social media to crowdsource information. There are some great neuroscientists on TikTok, like Dr. Rachel Summers. There are some great people on YouTube and have uh, different channels on, on real channels. Um, there is a, uh, you know, Paige Lyle has been a lot, a lot of great uh, content about autism, particularly in women, young women. And so just like if I were going to do a research project, I would go get a sample and ask a bunch of questions. I'm getting, you know, you can just get it naturally from the ether now. And of course you have to validate who do you think is relevant and, 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 and good information as opposed to bad information. So I started looking at that and I look back at like the 25 years of what me managing people from, as I mentioned, ethical hackers to forensics people to even, you know, DBAs. And that they were a different group and that they behaved differently. And what you described about how they managed their energy, some were very, very shy and introverted and didn't want to talk to people. And that's fine, you know, but they had a superpower in being able to figure out patterns and spatial relations and solving problems that many others didn't, you know, maybe at the sacrifice of some of the social aspects. And that's what most people think about when they think about particularly ASC or autistic people is that this kind of low functioning, very low, low social functioning person who can't look at DI or understand social cues. And yes, there is a population of that, but then on the other end of the spectrum, it's me, <laughs> highly social, highly extroverted, highly articulate, and want to be able to kind of get the word out. And so there is always a range. And I think that some people, as I kind of alluded to before, have managers that don't understand what makes people effective and, and trying to push them into things that they're not comfortable with. And they're just setting them up for failure instead of leaning into what their gifts are and letting them do those things more and offloading. It's like, okay, I don't need to debrief the customer. I'll have someone else do that. I don't need you to write the report. I'll have you to someone interview you and create the report, and then we'll all be a lot more efficient. So that's that's kind of one area. And in the presentation, I talked about different tips that I had of helping motivate and focus staff through some techniques that I'll talk about in a little bit. But going back to the other statement about energy, and it's a really good point that you say about people being more comfortable just getting online because they feel uncomfortable being around big crowds. And that uncomfortableness may not just be from a social aspect, but also just from an overstimulation. You know, oftentimes you will see particular autistic kids like putting headphones on because everything is too loud or they have this issue with, you know, people chewing or people with their noises or background and they can't focus. And so they need to, they're overly sensitized to that. And so they need to kind of, and so that may be another reason or the opposite end are people who can't stand the silence and they can't be in the house alone or they always have to have the TV on or always have to have music playing or always have to have headphones on to keep 
keep their mind occupied because the silence will just make them go crazy. And so these are all things just to be aware of, to help manage. And as a leader, being able to say, okay, Janet, you can go ahead and have headphones on, listen to music, because I know that helps you focus. Or the opposite, you can put on headphones and turn everything off, and then I will come up and wave to you to say, take them off so I can talk to you. And giving them the ability to do that kind of thing. And so it's looking at this different rainbow of different types of traits that people have, not only just from how they interact socially, but also how they approach problems. And my main one that I talk about is this range from, you know, on one end of the spectrum, you have people who love to do multiple things at once, thrive in chaos, run forward with little information, fail quickly, and then figure out as they go along. And those people make great responders, pen testers, you know, et cetera, you know, waiters, bartenders, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, of, of uh, restaurant staff and things like that, because you're handling multiple things at once, you know, something's going to go wrong and you have to do it with a customer service perspective. But then on the other side, there are people who are single threaded. And they're afraid to fail. And they're very meticulous about every step. And they don't make that first step until they've figured out every single problem along the way. And that's fine. They make great like developers or project managers or other things. But it's when in business, you try to make one do the other. And I've uh, you know, been asked to take, you know, when I'm, you know, 10, 15 years ago, say, hey, take some of your interresponders and, you know, give them some forensics work. It's like, no, they don't think the same way. Or likewise, a forensics person to do pen testing, which while they may have the intelligence to do it, they just don't have the ability to, to like do multiple things or fail quickly and, and continue to keep going. And that's fine. It's just like leaning into thing that your gift is and not trying to make them do the thing that is not, that will just make them unsuccessful and uncomfortable. So how did you even get involved in diving into a topic like this? Was it just managing? Was it through management of your team or how, how, how did this even well, arise? I guess I could start. My mother is a psychologist and she was a substitute, okay. had ran substance abuse treatment facilities for decades. And so I kind of grew up always, you know, thinking about psychology as she was going through her degrees. I was like at the same din dining room table while she's studying. And I feel like I have an honorary degree just because I lived through all, it, through all of it as a kid. But also then the fact of being neurodivergent myself, like looking at patterns and understanding and kind of seeing how things work and how do, you know, how do physical systems work and how to do uh, behaviors and, and reading people. And I was always really good at like helping my friends solve their problems or identifying their problems. And so I've always been very active in that, but, and that might've helped me, but it was really, as I said before, the social networking, I'm being on ADHD TikTok or autism TikTok and seeing people talk about it and listening to one neuroscientist talk about all these different traits. And I'm like, I don't know anyone who's not that way. What are you talking about? It's like, this is just normal because that's how I am. And most of the people in my industry, that's how we are. Or you wouldn't be in this industry, as I kind of described, you know, the types of traits that we look for. And so that's what really got me interested. And then I started digging deeper and reading more literature and reading more papers about it and then kind of getting this crowdsource. And then I start you know, how the algorithm works, I start getting more and more ADHD and autism, you know, content. And then I start validating certain things and confirming things. And then I look back and I say, oh, that's why I did that. That's why I behaved that way. That's how I was able to make Steve successful by keeping him in a room and keeping people from talking to him and just giving him the space to do the work. And now I understand things that I did wrong and things I did right. And then that 
helped me articulate because when I used to talk about hiring people, I always said, we hire based on personality and aptitude. I really don't care where you went to school or what your grades are. You know, I can interview people a lot smarter than I am who have much better, you know, pedigrees and college education, but they just don't have the personality for it. But what I just said before, like now I know what the traits are. You know, I may someone who's very academic and maybe that single threaded academic person looking for prior, you know, evidence and looking for research and coming up with a research paper. No, I want you to figure it out without any support and just keep trying until you fail enough to figure it out. And they are just not capable of doing that. And so those are the things that we look for is understanding how they think and and how they manage going through um you know, difficult things and dealing with deadlines and dealing with complications and just getting through it. So how would a manager even begin to, um, I mean, I think I have a small team, so I know each and every one of my employees are completely different and I've been fortunate enough and hopefully they stay with me for forever because I love them all. But, you know, each of them are different. So each of them work differently and they're exactly, you know, like you, you talked about, you know, everyone has different needs, but how do you, how would a manager of someone that's managing 50, 60 employees, how would you even tackle to try to even understand your employees? Employees like that. Yeah, it's it's hard to scale, but you know, happily, you in as we scale, the military tens of thousands of years ago has figured out you don't have a hundred people reporting to you. You know, you have a hierarchy, right? And you have people under you and the five, you know, leaders and directors or managers or whatever that you hire them that understand this concept. And, and also the first thing that I think is often the toughest, particularly for people of my generation and older, is you can't treat everyone the same way because we were all told just to suck it up and do this, you know, and it's like, hey, I'm not going to treat you like some special snowflake. It's like, I'm going to just bark orders at everybody and I'm going to wonder why half the people are successful and half are not. And, and so understanding that you will get more out of people if you come to them the way that they want to be treated. And I know it doesn't scale. And I also know that if you have a small team, you know, you can't always have junior people or people you have to spend more time with, but, you know, then you find people who are more self-motivated than then your other things you can adjust to. But so the first thing, like I said, is realize that you will be more effective if you come to where they are and understand how they work best. One of the things I mentioned as far as advice for people is manage energy over time. And so I'm a morning person. The first three hours of the morning are my most productive. That's when I get everything done. You know, so if I have somebody like that, then I will have meetings with them then or expect that to be done, you know, that time and not like try to give them stuff in the afternoon. Or if they're a night owl, you know, give them the grace to come in whenever they want because I know they'll get the job done at nine or 10 o'clock at night and not really worry about it. I understand that that is not always possible, <laughs> but at least giving some concessions and kind of like understanding that, you know, I've had people who work for me who used to roll in at noon because I know they'd be up until three in the morning. And while other people around me was like, hey, why is Chris coming in late all the time? Like, no, he's coming in when he's ready. And I'm not going to try to make him work in the morning where he is low energy and he's not productive, you know, just so that someone sees that he punched in at the right time. Um, and so I guess understand then this, this kind of dynamic. 
And when you look at a much larger staff, you will have management to kind of socialize to them that this is my approach, is I want to be able to let people work the way they work best. And whatever that is, giving concessions, but understanding there are deadlines and understanding there might be other requirements that they can't get around and try to find people who are willing to fit into those and give them the encouragement and the tools to help be productive. And then, like I said, there are some other techniques of helping them be productive, depending on the circumstance that we can get into. So where do you draw the line of... Oh, I don't even know how to say it because times have changed. We're in a different era than we were when you and I were in our 20s, you know, and 30s. People in their 20s are way different than they were, you know, 30 years ago. There's different expectations. And when you use the term snowflake, I mean, you have to be very careful because it, it it's different back. You know, I, I was in the right. military. I had to do it. I didn't have a choice. Yep. You know, yep. it was, I, you know, you just did it. And, you know, if I wanted, if I wanted to um, have my pay my rent, I was working, you know, I, there was no ifs, ands and buts about it. You know, there was no excuses. It didn't matter if I was tired and I didn't feel like it, I had to do it. So where do you draw the line between really having somebody that, you know, does have some issues, like how do you find out if it's not laziness or it's really come to where they are? Yeah. And that's a very good question and, and a good point because it we can't give concessions to everybody all the time. And when I say that, but just understand that, like, what can I give a little bit to? What is variable in the work that I do? Luckily in cybersecurity, most of us can now work from home. It doesn't matter where we are. We don't have to all go to a security operations center. We can all be very collaborative in that sense. And we can, you know, the people who are night owls will work the night shift and people who are not or not. And, you know, knowing all those different things, not everyone has that opportunity, but and being acknowledging that it's there. And there are more high-functioning folks that can just mask and just power through it and be fine. Um, but then giving them the ability to, you know, relax because, you know, the reality is, and I, and you know, I tell a story in the conversation about like having a boss who was bipolar, and I would check in with him every day in the morning, see like where are we today, and if he's having a bad day and he's ain't grumpy and he's not like very productive, then I just leave him alone. But if I get in and he's like already done some things and he's excited and he's he's ready to go, then I'm like, great, we're going to get two weeks worth of work done in six hours, <laughs> you know, because he's hyper focused on it. And it's just like just kind of managing it in that way. And but also kind of recognizing and I think the other thing just about when we were younger, no one cared about your mental health and no one looked at it. and No one tried to give, you know, any grace to that where, you know, now we are aware of it and we are willing to talk about it. We are to wear these labels and, and say that we're ADHD or even joke about it or kind of use it as an excuse why we do something or don't do something. Um, but the, um, the ability to recognize that sometimes these traits that may not be neurodivergent traits are, could also be childhood trauma traits as well. And that, you know, everyone is going through something different and there may be days that people just are not productive and 
that could be a problem if you're on assembly line, but it may not be a problem if it's you're doing, you know, uh, you know, policy development or something, and you still have a long time to get to a deadline, because it's what motivates you. And that was one of the questions that I had this morning with the students was, "Hey, I have a struggle trying to focusing, keeping focus." And I said, "The answer is going to be unique to you." Some people, you know, in some of the tips of mirroring and have someone else sit with you while you do the work. Sometimes it's relumining distractions. You know, sometimes it's adding distractions in. So, you know, I know a lot of our kids like have the TV on and the music playing and something they're watching streaming and then they're doing their work because they have their mind, you know, back back of the mind occupied with those things so they can focus on whatever whatever they're trying to do. Other times it's like getting the simple things out and priming the pump or having a deadline or putting on a timer. You know, there's lots of little tips and there's plenty of different resources to give these tips and apps that I talk about in the presentation that are used to kind of help with that. And so the, you know, some sometimes it's, okay, I know it's due Friday. Uh, this particular person I know is gonna do it the last minute, but it's gonna be good. I'm not going to harass them to say, do you have an outline two weeks ahead? And do you have a draft the week before? And hey, when can I review it? You know, the day before. Because I know that that deadline is going to be their motivator to hyper-focus, get it set up, and it's going to be great. And I know there's others who it's going to be awful because they did the last minute. And so knowing what to expect out of them, I can then manage and then coach them to say, hey, I know if you wait to the last minute, it's not going to be very good because you're going to rush. Let me sit down with you the week before and let's mirror and just kind of talk about it. And that might help prime the pump for you to get some stuff done. And then you'll be in a better position to get it completed. So those kinds of things of being willing to do that um, really help them be successful. And then as you kind of talk about loyalty and understanding and having someone who, you know, allows you to be yourself, because that's a whole other topic when we talk about finding your community and, you know, to be more comfortable to be yourself and be accepted as yourself. Something that kind of came to mind as you were speaking, um, since we've had this writer strike and there hasn't been much on the TV, I found myself in the last couple of months rewatching all the old offices. And if you think about the office, you know the office, right? And yep. if you think about all the characters in the office, every one of them are different personalities. And it, it pro probably is pretty representative of what's you know, mainstream looks like, you know, because everyone has such a different, unique character. So there you have, I, I think that's just like a great example of how do you manage so many different characters of, you know, if, if you had the personality of like, for example, the office, you know, you, you're again, each one of them are different. And I imagine in most workspaces, that's about how it's represented. So, um, right. And that's a really good point because also going back to your statement about the military, the military is like, listen, we need this scalable and repeat won't everyone be the same. And underneath, there's all these different personalities, but they just kind of got it beaten out of them to do this one thing the way I say to do it. And, you know, your results may vary, right? And I think that we, particularly in our generation, have masked that. And I tell a story, you know, my, I first start with a story about like when I'm around my friends at a workplace, my first job, I was one way, but when people weren't around, when I wasn't around my friends, then I was completely different. And that a lot of times, if you see workplace where everyone's trying to be the same, they're either trying to behave as a, you know, because one of the traits is people pleasing <laughs> and it's like, well, I want to be this way to make sure everyone likes me and I'm going to mimic the way everybody else behaves. And then we're all kind of the same. 
uh, but underneath you're not, and you're totally different in some other way, which is good or bad. Um, you know, I kind of like people to be themselves and be real about themselves, like The Office. And I think The Office might be some, you know, at the time, a fantasy about, hey, what if everyone was allowed to be themselves and be loud and be, you know, a real nerd and be someone who's always, you know, looking for things or trying to improve things or trying to, you know, to, you know, some are not positive things, you know, <laughs> but let everyone be themselves as opposed to everyone masking to try to follow a certain type of thing that they think society wants. Yeah, I agree with you. And then, so what, um, I know that you had a ton of questions after your presentation and there were so many people that were, you know, your presentation resonated with just their home life and their family life, which everything you've talked about, you know, we all know people that have kids, each of our kids are different, you know, and they all symbolize a different, probably something you have already talked about. So, um, how, um, what were some of the questions that you were getting that day after the event? And I know that Erin uh, Margolis has some que- had a question that she pre posted before the event, and I'll get to that in a moment. But what were your big questions after you talked about this topic? Interestingly, like much of the comments were just about, thank you for bringing this up and trying to normalize it. Thank you. I now feel like I've been seen and I can feel like I can be myself. Thank you for highlighting this to a group of leaders so that they can be aware to understand that, you know, when interviewing somebody that they may not be as articulate or able to express themselves because they're uncomfortable. And it doesn't mean that they don't know how to do it and they won't do a terrific job. And so a lot of it was all that. And some people who just felt, and same thing this morning when talking to the students. But when we talk about certain questions, some of it was about, okay, you talked about from a leadership perspective, you know, how to interview people who made this way, how maybe to motivate them or help them get focused. But what do I do from my practitioner perspective? How do I, as a practitioner, better interview knowing that, I'm not going to be able to answer canned questions in a very quality way. And they're not going to really be able to allow me to show my personality and how trustworthy and how considerate and how much time I'll be able to focus on it and how I fail quickly and will not give up on a problem until it's solved. You know, those are the things I want to try to articulate and how do I do that? And other things about, you know, how do I motivate myself? You know, I talked about things to keep people motivated, such as managing energy and not time, manage your energy, not your time, you know, splitting different tasks into smaller pieces, using momentum to get things done. You know, these are things you could use, you know, like the mirroring or body doubling I'd mentioned, but, you know, coming up with, you know, different techniques for how you can do that and, and being willing to fail when you try something or talking about different apps. So a lot of it was, you know, less about questions and more just like people confirming and, you know, having like, great, I found this community of people because that was one of the other important things that people didn't realize is that, wow, I feel much more comfortable about my certain group of friends because we're all the same way. And now I didn't know why I'm different in one way than the other. And, and just help people just identify why they are the way they are or their kids or their partner or their coworkers. So Erin, um, and I'm looking over here because I have, I'm looking at my LinkedIn over here and she had a question, Erin Margolius, before she said, what are some guidelines of when to cater and accommodate and when to avoid at all costs? So I guess it is 
do you understand what she's asking? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of like where somebody is not going to be productive or fit into the team because they might not be able to be successful in 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 that as opposed to okay, I know this person is going to be successful as long as I, you know, keep them separate or keep them in with people or put them only with these certain people or whatever. And I think about it from you know, it, you, you know, how can I get concessions? And that's one of the things that goes into the whether someone's formally diagnosed or not, right? Because like I said, some of these traits also represent childhood trauma. You know, the willing, you know, the over, uh, the, the overburden to try to please everybody, you know, the not being able to look people in the eye, you know, some social cues, some things like that also are represented by childhood trauma. So there are some cases where, getting diagnosed might help by say, hey, I'm diagnosed because I'm not necessarily, you know, not necessarily saying just a protected um uh protected uh um group as it would be in DEI, but also to be able to kind of have the patch to kind of get these concessions to let you be able to wear headphones or do things separately or do things verbally instead of written or some other thing. But otherwise, you know, for me, I just want to know like how do you think and how do you work and what are the things you like to do and not like to do and you know how empathetic you are about things and one of the women this morning had kind of brought up it's like yeah i'm really nervous about going into the corporate world <coughs> excuse me because she feels nervous about how she'll be accepted you know i find that i i'm usually cutting people off when i want to talk and I'm usually like get excited and I talk for too long or or I might hyper focus on something and not getting something else done and it's like that's fine. Just make sure that you have a people leader who understands that and knows how to work with you to help get you to the point where you can be successful. So I think the underlying, and Aaron, hopefully I am answering your question for you, because I know we talked about it a lot afterwards um, when you were there, was that, you know, it's that time when you're looking for new staff, when you're interviewing, and that's from both sides. And that's why I told the students today, if you talk to somebody and you start talking about these things, it's like, these are the things that I'm going to be doing. And I understand myself on this way, and I'm willing to kind of concede to make sure that I'm productive. But I want to let you know that there are times I may behave this way, and it's not out of spite, and it's not out of disrespect. It's just, this is why I am. And if they say, nope, you need to be this way, and you need to show up at eight o'clock, you need to be wearing a tie, and I want you to talk back and speak when spoken to, then you may choose not to work for that leader. Similarly, if the leader's like, that's fine, I'm willing to work with you to a certain extent. And, you know, just as long as we know our boundaries and we stick to our boundaries and understand what's expected of each, then I think that we can work together. So again, it's something where people recognize, you know, this is what I'm going to have to deal with. This is what I'm going to be doing. And are we willing to work together? And if there is a, uh, 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 if there is a hard line on either side to say, hey, I'm not willing to change, then it may not be, you know, something that would be able to make it a sexual relationship. So um, Sonia Lewis, thanks for uh, tuning in today. She said she was in Tampa and uh, it was phenomenal. I was actually not in Tampa. It was one of my first shows I wasn't at because uh, we as leaders have to give ourselves a break as well. And that was the first event I hadn't went to and like five years. So um, it was a phenomenal event. But then she goes on to say, definitely need to get hiring managers to understand this entire topic. And Tracy, right after that, asked about, um, Tracy, thanks for Tracy uh, Gauger, asked where she could find this presentation that we keep talking about. Um, you can go on the FutureCon. We have a YouTube channel. Just go to futurecon events.com and you can see our social media link. Li uh, 
links, just go to um, our YouTube and you can catch, um, you can catch, um, uh, and just going blank, Rick's presentation. presentation so, yeah, Rick's presentation is out there and it's a phenomenal presentation and it just, it doesn't just apply to our employees and our peers. I think it helps with our kids and everything. So how do you, are you, Rick, um, how do you implement this into your workspace? Yeah, I think it's important. And part of it is this, you know, evangelizing it like I am today. I'm literally on, this is one of three, you know, podcasts that I'm doing, talking about this topic. And I'm doing a, this a smaller version, as I said, at the UNCC event later this month and at the, and at a, you know, um, CISO of the Year Award event, you know, later in the month as well. And, and so I feel like this is now my calling to help socialize this. And in the, video you see one of my friend jc at the end she had asked you she thanked me for bringing this up and asked like how does someone like herself who she acknowledged that she was neurodivergent like get past these things and and i said well there are 200 people leaders now who just listened for the last hour of me talking about that and they should be a little bit more understanding about this and so the more that i can get to understand that that's great but to your point is like within i've talked to you know some of the leaders in my organization all of them have seen my video, not that I haven't talked with them about this agnosium for months already as we talk about and share it, that, you know, getting them to understand the presence of this, because instead of just saying, hey, why do I have this weirdo who only wants to do this thing or eat this one food and only wants things a certain way and can't work if they're not in the right cube, you know, they're like, oh, okay, well, let me make sure we accommodate them so they can be successful fine. It's not hurting us. It's not hurting other people. You know, let's give that instead of being this hard line. Nope. You got to do it this way or, or not. And I think just the socialization, I think that there are other, not, I think I am happy to see that other of my peers in the industry across the country, as I mentioned in the, um, in my presentation, you know, SANS, you know, has a neurodivergent, you know, um, uh, or conference. And then there is a, a, another one from, um, the uh, 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 what's it called? Oh, Cyber Minds with a Z. So yeah, neurodiversity and security. Neurodiversity and cybersecurity. Sands has a summit about that. There'll probably be another one next year. So we're now talking about this in security industry. Since, as I said, almost everyone who was in this kind of what brings you this is that you think this way, and this gives the opportunity to use your gifts in a productive way. So I've been seeing a lot of my CISO friends writing books. Do we see a book coming in the future? Maybe. I mean, I've always been like, you know, particularly in my industry, when as soon as you write a book, it's outdated <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. it moves so quickly. And I also kind of feel like because I am the way that I am, ADHD, you know, my feeling is like, if I write it, I'm, it's never going to be good enough. And I'm going to, you know, and and I'm, worried about, you know, it's like, okay, also, do I, you know, who am I to write a book? I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a psychologist. And here I'm writing about this topic. I mean, that was one of my apprehensions about talking about this initially, like at the beginning of the year when I did the first talk about this. And I was very nervous talking to my friends at another event here in Charlotte. And I'm like, are you guys okay? Is it all right? And everyone's like, no, this resonated well. This is great. You need to talk about this more. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. So, I'm still processing personally that, and yes, maybe, but also 
people consume things differently now. You know, maybe I just do a video series on my YouTube channel, or I continue to talk about this on different podcasts, and I get other people who start sharing their experiences, and it just kind of like crowdsources the opposite direction to get this word out to talk about. Because I'm not looking for, and I've always been this way in person, I'm not looking for the fame of it. I'm just trying to get the information out to help people. You know, I am here about improving my community and my my industry. And that's the benefit that I get out of is I know that I'm helping other people. So again, kind of going back to my own personal quirkiness is like, well, why would I write a book? It seems kind of arrogant to write a book about it. You know, I just rather talk and make sure that other people know about it and then they can share it and move on from there. But maybe, I guess the short answer. Well, we'll see. <laughs> if you do, you can come to my event yes. and have a book signing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would feel awful. Of that. The other thing is kind of like, you know, praise people who want to be praised. I'm As much as I am a big ham and I'm always looking for an audience and I love talking to people, I am like the worst when it comes to like getting recognition. It's like, no, no, you don't have to thank me. No, that's fine. You don't need to highlight it. You know, I don't want to go to a book signing. That seems very forward of me. So again, I'm working through this as well. Well, you know, that's interesting because, you know, you've seen how we do at the end of our shows. Our, we do, we have our honorees and we, you know, some of these people are like, no, I don't want to be an honoree. I don't want to be an honoree. And I'm like, nope, yep. too bad. You're an honoree. <laughs> We're calling you up. So come on up, you know, and they, there, some of them are very, very reluctant to come up, but I think it's very important too, you know, that we praise the hard work that, you know, the the cybersecurity community, I mean, there's nothing harder. I mean, I mean, people can't even sleep in this industry, you know, some of these jobs out there. Um, and it, it's interesting what Jamie uh, Prosser says, um, she, um, Jamie said, being a neurodiverse senior manager myself with a neurodiverse son in the same industry, I think is so important. I have um, a nephew. I doubt my sister would ever listen to the show, so I can go ahead and talk about it. No one knows who my sister is, but he was the most quietest um, kid ever. Now he is going to college. He's going to an engineer college, and he's he's off the chart, like so smart. Like I, I forgot what kind of engineer. It, it's like a neuroscience engineer, something so crazy smart. But he joined a fraternity that were like him, like-minded mm -hmm. people like him. And I saw him last summer and um, unfortunately at a funeral, because it seems like where you always see your relatives. And I was shocked. I had never seen this kid so outgoing and just because now he had found himself, he had found his people, he found his tribe. And now he was just a whole new kid. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the important thing. That's why I talked about a lot with the students this morning was, you know, it can be very lonely and you feel and it's going to be exhausting to continue to mask and not be yourself around people who don't understand you. And when you find folks like you, you can just be free. And so when I talk about managing energy, it's like you need to balance the fact that, you know, it takes a lot of effort for you to be you know, come to the conferences and be and interact with people and go up and talk to people and get acknowledged for awards and stuff like that, that you need to be able to be with your kind, that you can, you know, talk freely and nerd out about something and have a strong opinion without anyone being mad about it. It's like, yep, nope, that's cool, dude, you know, and just completely go. And, and it's finding that balance of 
and and knowing yourself enough to find the balance like okay i've had enough here i need to go be alone or hey you know i'm having to mask so much around this group i need to go with my friends and just decompress where i can just nerd out and be myself and and not have to mask so much i told you a story before i before we started and i told it this morning uh, it, that Went 15 years ago when I was running, you know, a bunch of security consulting group consultants, I was reviewing um, uh, expense reports. And one of my guys was in New York for the week, but I saw that he got room service every single day of the week. And I'm a huge foodie. I'm like, you know, berating him. I'm like, Steve, dude, why don't you get out? You're in the greatest food city of the world. Why are you not getting food service, you know, and staying in all the time? And now I'm embarrassed about that because I should have given him the grace to say, it's like, okay, he was one of those ones that was very quiet and I kept him in the box and didn't let it, you know, make sure that no one was bothering him. And it was probably exhausting for him to spend all day in a new city, in a new place around different people, doing his job, talking to the customer all by himself, that he needed to go back and be comforted by food that he knows and he'll eat the burger and fries every single night and have things around him that make him feel comfortable and listen to his music and have his pillow and all of the things to comfort himself to prepare him for the next day. And he's probably going to take a week to recover from having to do that. I did not even consider that because I'm the opposite. I would be the one who would never be in my hotel room. And so just even understanding that and, and or giving yourself the grace if you are that person to say, it's okay that I can do nothing for two hours and decompress because that's going to make me better later. And I guess, you know, understanding your employees and how they're different and even with some like a reward system, you know, you can't offer everyone the same type of reward system. Maybe it, it's a little hard nowadays to go to happy hours and stuff because most of my team is remote across the country and that's pretty much how it is since COVID. But, you know, just as that example, you know, maybe you want to say, hey, let's take Friday off. Let's take Friday off and go to happy hour and celebrate because we've had a great week. Well, you may have that one person that is not their jam. That's not what they want to do. That's not going to make them happy. So it is very important to, you know, find out what is going to motivate each team member. You know, what what, what are they going to, you know, um, come back and be stronger and better and want to do, you know, do do well for you as a boss because they know they're going to be rewarded. And right. And they're they're maybe, maybe the, back. yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like there was the, you know, fear of missing out. There's also the joy of missing out. Exactly. Right? And, and so it's like, okay, we're going to go to the happy hour. Steve, your gift is you don't have to go. And yeah. you can go home and you can go watch a movie and I will give you, you know, I'll send DoorDash your way, exactly. um, whatever you want. It was one of my friends here in, in Charlotte, uh, Austin Adams, who's a very famous CIO. He was a JP Morgan Chase up until 2007 and, and um, uh, first union back in the 80s that made Charlotte the banking capital of the U.S. He had some great wisdom in the two times that I've interviewed him this year. And one of them was praise people the way they want to be praised. Some people want a parade and a cake. Other people just in the corner alone say, put your arm around. It's like, hey, that was really great. I'm really proud of you. Thank you for doing that. You know, yeah. praise them the way they want to be praised. And so it's like encourage them the way they need to be encouraged, celebrate them the way they want to be celebrated, reward them the way they want to be rewarded. Now, I know that we can't do it all, scalable and repeatable kind of thing, but 
keep that in mind that it may be like, I'll do three things. I'm going to send these to you. Know, here's the option. I will send you DoorDash and you can go home and do your thing, or we can go do happy hour, or you can go do an activity and we're going to go on a bike ride or something like that. You know, the people who do the five K's on, uh, you know, Thanksgiving morning kind of thing. <laughs> well, I guess it's just like your kids. I have three kids, you know, and, their Christmas Very presents, yeah. you know, are completely different. You know, what I give for one, the other one will say, what a waste of money. Why'd you give her that? You know, I'd rather have the same amount of money, but on something that's polar opposite, you know. And, you know, it's funny because I have two daughters and one daughter lives in New York. She's in the fashion industry. The other daughter's still trying to figure out what she wants. And because the other one... She, she's very alternative and, you know, she does things to be polar opposite of the one that's in the fashion industry. So it's just the same, you know, everybody has their own unique, you know, what makes them happy and you can't fight it because I've fought it and you're never going to win. <laughs> so right. never, ever. And in the presentation, that's why I used the graft of left-handedness, right? It was that like, you know, the graph that, you know, in the early two in the early 1900s, left-handed for this, and then in the 40s and 50s, it kind of topped off. It was like, wow, a bunch of left-handed people were born in the 50s. Like, no, they weren't allowed to be before. And so it's the same thing. It's like, you were left-handed, and I talk about my father was born in 1940, and he's left-handed, and he was able to be left-handed, and he was one of the few people who were because they were forced to be right-handed. And it's similar to us here. It's like, well, no, you need to be social and you need to be interactive. You need to laugh at jokes. You need to look people in the eye. It was like, well, this is not comfortable to us. We can, what can we do that will still get the job done without having to do that? Yeah. It's, it's just, I, I have some, yeah, it's, I, I don't want to go. We're down to about three, three minutes. We <laughs> could go on and on. I feel like there's a million more things I'd love to chat with you about, but what would your, you know, as we wrap up here, what would your advice be to our listeners of how can they better themselves to just, if there was a few things, we don't have a lot of time they can do to change how they look at their employees tomorrow, what would it be? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess just the, the fact that you're listening to this topic and, and seeking out advice on this topic, there's so much great information out there right now um, about whichever it might be and certain traits and characteristics. And just understand that that exists and that people are different and they're different for different reasons. And, and don't look at it as you know, being neurodivergent is not something to be treated. Yes, there may be some comorbidity with depression or anxiety, which can be treated, but it itself is not something like being left-handed that is going to be effectively treated. You're just going to be making their life harder. Um, you know, understand that you're just having that understanding will and giving some empathy to it will help you in doing that. And and then on the other side, as a practitioner, just knowing yourself a little better and realizing don't be embarrassed by it and and lean into this gift and this superpower and talk about the things that you're great and and say, hey. I may not be very articulate and I don't be able to talk, but I'm very trustworthy and I will get the job done and I'll work harder than anyone in this room. I would just do it a different way. If you ask me to get to a goal, I will get there. Just don't make me do it the way, a certain way. I will figure out my own way. Well, I think that you need to write a book. I think both people, the <laughs> managers and the employees need to uh, read it. But uh, Michael Creech said- One on one uh, side, one on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, I think it's great. Well, Rick Doughton, he's VP uh, Information Security at Centene Corporation and uh, uh, CISO at Carolina Complete Health. Thank you so much for spending this last hour with us. Thanks for all the time that you spend with FutureCon and support FutureCon. And we will continue to talk about this message and definitely have Rick back again. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of And Security for All. I hope you all have an amazing weekend. Stay safe, stay secure, and we will see you next Friday. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com. Or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.